I'm Peter Alakawi, and welcome to Life School, the podcast. Each episode, I'll be chatting openly and honestly with a different guest about a whole host of purposeful topics. From personal success and failure stories, to relationship advice, tips and tricks for entrepreneurs, to professional and practical guidance on living a more fulfilled and happy life. I'll be speaking to men and women from all walks of life, all with unique experiences they want to share in the hope of inspiring you. I hope throughout this series you can take away some valuable nuggets of wisdom to help you navigate through life's many twists, turns and lessons. Here at Life School we are all about the business of learning. So let's get on with the show. And remember, everything you go through grows you. Welcome to episode 5 of Life School, series 1, DXB Women Who Inspire Me. Today's guest is a DXB woman who not only inspires me but amazes me. Four years ago, Caroline Leon fell from an outdoor rock climbing wall here in Dubai. She was rushed to A&E with life-threatening injuries and spent months in hospital undergoing major surgeries to reconstruct her feet, reattach her pubic bone, and reconstruct her pelvis and spine. Initially, doctors told Caroline and her family that she may never walk again. After 14 surgeries, 23 blood transfusions and two years of extensive rehabilitation in order to learn how to walk again. She's now not only walking, but about to embark on the adventure of a lifetime. I recorded this episode at the beginning of the month, just a week before Caroline was about to embark on attempting a Guinness World Record to be the first Australian woman in the world to summit every mountain in the Middle East and the Arabian Peninsula in the fastest possible time frame. Oh, and I should mention that she's doing this completely solo. That's 16 mountains, some of which are over 5,000 meters in altitude in 16 countries and territories across the Middle East. I honestly haven't stopped thinking about my conversation with Caroline since we recorded this episode. I really hope her incredible story of courage and determination ignites something inside of you. And just a small disclaimer, this episode does contain graphic content and strong language. Now let's bring on Caroline. Caroline, welcome to Life School. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for giving me your time today. It's okay. Um, Our listeners will have heard a little bit about your story um, and this amazing adventure challenge that you're about (laughs) to embark on during our intro. But before we get into all of that, could you share with me a little bit about where you were at before your accident? So what did your life look like before this happened? Yeah, like my life was normal. It was, I was going to the gym, I was working full time. I had my own business at the time and I was teaching other teachers to be Pilates teachers. And I was about to do a golf for good challenge. We were about to go to Uganda. I had gotten married about three months earlier. So that's kind of what my life looked like. It was just very, very normal. Like I was obviously always quite adventurous um, and very active and sporty and I liked to be outside and to do physical activity, but yeah, it was, it was just normal. And can you tell us how your accident happened? Yeah, look, I think there are sometimes those moments that you have in your life where you don't really, you don't really think about the consequences of what you're doing and I think for me, I'd always been someone who was very fearless and I had, even when I was really young, we used to go surfing and I used to always be in the water and I used to climb the cliffs in Coogee Beach, like we're talking about 
maybe about 100 meters cliffs, just free climbing um, on, on rock. And climb to the very top, sit and watch everyone surf, and then in the afternoon, like climb down. So I always had this very fearless um, attitude towards myself and my body, and I never really realized like all it takes is one second, and it really is just one millisecond, um, and then your whole life changes. And I'm very fortunate now to to be able to look back on that and think my life changed in a second, but it wasn't the end of it. So basically what happened is I went to an outdoor rock climbing wall with a friend in Dubai and uh, the wall was, was just open and uh, we were like, should we climb the wall just for fun? Like it was just one of those silly adventurous things. That like you a do. spontaneous. Yeah, 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 yeah. So spontaneous. And so I took my shoes off. I climbed up the wall. I perched myself on the top. Um, because it had a, it was like a triangular wall and it had this flat surface and you could look down in the middle. And I perched myself at the top, I put my hands over and I looked out across the sunset and just, the sun was beautiful. You know how the sunsets are here. They're like this big ethereal ball that just descends into the, into the ocean. So I was just staring at that and listening to the prayer. It was Ramadan. And uh, then I was like, all right, I'm gonna climb down. And I remember having this, this moment inside where I looked down and I was like, whew, like a ping of I'm really high. And um, I was like, Whoosh. like I normally do that when I have fear, I just like brush it aside. And then I started to climb down and I literally, I remember putting my foot down onto the first, so in, in climbing we call it an inclut, but it's like a peg, like a little mound of clay. And so I descended the first one and my hand on this side, so the, the inclut just came off and I remember I just lost the my my grip just came off I think I was holding a lot of my weight on that right I'm side. literally getting sweaty palms yeah. as you're describing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's mental and so I just went boom and it happened in a split second like you know when people tell you oh it's very it's it's a slow motion thing it didn't I you, some, you know how sometimes you go onto these rides um, and you can feel your stomach just drop and you can feel that, that ride and it and you last quite a long time. This was like a millisecond and I think I had fallen in about a second and a half and in a second and a half I was on the floor and my feet landed so I landed on my feet and I had no shoes on so I landed onto gravel and then I fell back onto my back and I just lay there and I, mem I remember for a moment trying to like get up. So and you were conscious yeah, when you, when you I was, fell? I was conscious the whole time. So I remember falling, landing on my feet, leaning back, and then I tried to get up and my friend was like screaming. They were coming down the wall and I like rolled onto my left, my right side, and I felt all of the bones go doom, 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 doom. And that moment I was like, fuck. Like, I'd, you, you know, you, you move and you're used to the feeling of what a movement feels like. And uh, yeah, it just didn't feel that way. And then I couldn't lay on my right side and I wasn't in pain, which is interesting, but I, I just couldn't lay on it. And so I rolled over onto my left side and I felt dung, 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 everything again. And I lay on my left side 
and I could I could lay on that side and I didn't realize at the time that I couldn't lay on my right side because the whole thing had shattered and when I laid on my left side I just I lay there and I remember my friend running down the wall and screaming to see if I was still awake and I was there but I wasn't there I had kind of gone into this into my own like world and it's really interesting that your focus just goes vroom and you can just see directly what's in front of you and you can hear things in the background but it's almost like it's this background do you think this is like survival mode or is it shock i think it's a bit of both it's definitely a bit of both because as it's it's interesting after the accident i did so much research into what was ha- what happened because I wanted to understand what had happened to me and I wanted to understand the process and I think it's called the hypovolemic shock when you start to lose so much blood and your blood pressure drops and you become you get really like it's almost like this haze goes over the the rest of the surroundings but at the time I felt I could hear people talking and I could hear I I remember saying to my friend like you need to call the ambulance and they called the ambulance and I remember just laying there and every once in a while I was like how how far away are they and I, I knew enough to say those things and then I got so thirsty like so thirsty my mouth got really parched and I could taste like blood and then I could I could start to see it pulling around me and I didn't realize that it was mine at the time. You you become very very it's very warped. It's a very warped feeling. So I remember laying on my side and with my eyes just being able to see how the sand was like stained this red color and not realizing at the time that it was mine. And then I remember the ambulance and there was some people that had come and I, I don't know who they were, but they kept talking about my feet. and they kept saying stuff about my feet and at the time I didn't realize that my right foot had actually just um burst through and was open and it was out on the floor exposed and um yeah and then I just I lay there for I think it was about 45 minutes and that's a long time yeah it's it is a long time it's a long time when you're like that why did it take so long for the ambulance to get um, there <clears throat> we were in Jebel Ali it was oh, it was okay. far away so you're kind and of I, in the middle of nowhere yeah and I think the ambulance was coming from from the center of Dubai or from that end of Dubai so yeah just I lay there for about 45 minutes I put my hands on my heart and I just remember the only thing that so everything had turned into like this very hazy sound and i could just hear dudun dudun and i was just listening to that and then i just started breathing and i was just breathing and i kept feeling like i was going to pass out and then i stayed and i have this feeling now that i stayed here because i was just hypnotized by the sound of my own heart beating and and that was that was it after that the ambulance arrived and the guys asked me loads of questions like where we're going to put you on a stretcher so i was still lying on my side and they basically put the stretcher behind me they strapped me in sideways and then like 1 2 3 they rolled me back they lifted me up and put me into the ambulance and then when i got in they started putting all this stuff around my neck and they um 
they gave me this tube to breathe into and I think I was given some painkillers. Then uh, they started doing all these tests on my feet, like they were asking me to move my toes and they were touching my leg and, and saying, can you feel this? Like, can you feel this? And I was just, yeah, just there. And it's almost like I had someone that kept like clicking their fingers and snapping me awake. Um, and then after that, when I got into the hospital, I was just, I don't remember entirely the whole process of it, but I remember getting into hospital and being pulled out and then just a million people around me and they were moving me into a bed and then, then they took me into a CT machine. And I remember like the nurses talking me through like, this is, we're going to put you in a CT, are you okay? And I just remember this, it was the first time I felt pain when, and it was agonizing when they lifted me off the stretcher. So they had this sheet underneath and that like there was about 10 people around me and they lifted the stretcher off and then put me into the CT bed. And the moment they lifted me up and then just let my body drop onto the bed, I was in agony and I just remember screaming and screaming and screaming. And uh, then I went into the CT machine and when I got out, I was just like rushed out. And then I had my clothes cut and, uh, and then people asking me how long, when was the last time I ate? And then I had someone come and take all my jewelry off. And I remember being so thirsty and no one was letting me have any water. I was like, I, I was, that's the only thing I could think of. Like people were asking me all these questions and I didn't care. I didn't care about anything except I just needed water. And I was begging the nurses to give me water and no one was allowed to. Obviously they knew that they were gonna take me to surgery straight away and I didn't know that and they didn't want me to eat anything or to drink anything because it can you can be really sick from it. So that was it. And then I remember um, my husband coming and he was talking to, to the doctors and to the nurses and then he just came back. I don't remember anything after that. And then I just went into surgery and I don't remember going in. So did you get to see your husband, Scott, before you went into surgery? Yeah, I saw him, but I don't remember. Um, I remember seeing him. I don't remember the conversations that we had or what happened or anything like that, but I remember seeing his face. I remember asking him for water and then that was that was it. I don't remember anything else. Like that's how focused my mind was. Like I saw him, I didn't register what was happening or to explain to him, oh, I fell. It was just like, can I have some water? <laughs> like, can you get me some water, please? And yeah, and that that's it. Then I, I don't remember anything else, but just going into surgery and <laughs> and I remember, yeah, that was it, waking up um, the next day. So how many hours was your first um, surgery? Look, I don't, I don't know entirely. I do know that when I woke up, it was the next day and I was in a recovery ward. And I remember getting to the hospital, like I'd, it was about sunset when I fell and from sunset to the next morning. So it was about 6 a.m. the next day, 6 or 7 a.m. when I woke up in the recovery ward. And then my sister, Steph and, and Scott were both there. And uh, I remember asking them something really ridiculous, like I really need to pee. And my little sister was like, Carrie, you are. And she lifted this bag and I was like, oh, like, 
it didn't, I didn't even know where I was. Like I knew I was in hospital, but you know how you don't quite register things. So on that first morning, mm. once you'd had the operation, had you, could you, when you woke up, could you remember that you'd had this accident? Yeah, I remembered everything. So you everything. remembered everything, yeah, okay. I remembered everything. But obviously you were on a lot of drugs, painkillers, yeah. so yeah. everything so I, I was probably a little re- bit still warped. Yeah, it was very, very warped. Like it, I felt like I was in a very warped place. I didn't, yeah, it was, and this the idea of not being able to move anymore, I, I think from the moment that I went into hospital until about two or three months later, I don't think I moved at all. So actually, sorry, it was two months. I would lay flat on my back and that was really uncomfortable. And it's really interesting because now I can't lie on my back. Like it gives me the EBGBs. Um, yeah, that was interesting. So that, that evening I had... Uh, three surgeries they basically put my right foot back inside and then they um, stitched it all up and then I had like I had cuts all over my feet and I they were all like stitched and sewn back in they were just like uh, like gashes everywhere and open open like gashes so I had lots of little stitches everywhere and then I had a big um, protrusion right on the inside of my ankle that was sewn up and then obviously the bone was amended and I don't know what they did really it's it's got a technical term for it then I had rods inserted into my back and I had something else oh I had this this contraption put into my knee and it's basically like they drill uh, these two poles into your femur and then it's attached to this big pulley system and then there's like it looks like this big like medieval contraption it's so say this is my knee it's attached here then it's got these ropes and there's a 10 kilo weight that hangs and suspends off it and what I hadn't realized at the time is that so my right pelvis had shattered my pubic bone snapped off and the whole thing had moved up into my chest and because there was no other way they needed to pull my my pelvis down so they were tractioning it from my knee so I had 10 kilos attached to my leg and then my feet were all bandaged up so both of my feet and they were they were like purple and my wrists and my hand all the way to my elbows were purple like this dark dark purple Um, my thumb and then again on this side all the way to my elbow And then, yeah, I remember a couple of days later looking at my pelvis and it was deformed. It was like this side was like this and here. And then the other side was was down there. And you could see all these weird, like these weird mounds that were not really what a pelvis should look like. And then I looked at the other side and then I just like I covered it up and I just didn't want to look anymore. Obviously, I was bandaged and had lots of. Yeah, but that was that was it, and then I spent two months there. So you were in hospital for two months. Yeah, and you know I know you. I know that you are so passionate about mm. sport and being active. Mm. That is such a huge part of your life. Yeah. So for this to happen to someone like you, especially, what did that do to you mentally? Uh, I think. Look, I'm a really resilient person, and I've discovered that after this whole process. I think at the time it was really, it was a challenge for sure. The The hardest part initially was just being in so much pain all the time. And you think that like, that morphine is gonna make it better, but it just doesn't, it doesn't go away. It does, it's like this, uh, like this ache that just is there all the time. And then when you do any sharp movements, you get these like sharp stabbing, like, pains and they just throb 
and that's hard and you get really scared to move because of that um and then not moving in itself and being on your back for so long you get like like you want to move but you can't that's really hard that was probably the hardest part and i remember about i think it was about four or five weeks after it was the first time that the nurses started rolling me onto my side and i remember like it was so hard to lay on my side and i could only lay on the left side but I was like every day, like, can you, can you roll me? And it would take three nurses and we'd have like five pillows. So they would get the sheet and they would just roll me to the side. We'd put um, a pillow in between my knees because my pelvis couldn't take being at this weird angle. And then a, a pillow behind my back so I wouldn't roll back. And then another pillow between my feet because they were so bruised and swollen. And, and then I would last like half an hour and it was just like, oh, relief, like painful as, like so painful but relief so I'd lay there for like half an hour and then then like I'd need to move back onto my back so look they were like the small pleasures that you get but you get look it's hard to say but you get used to it to a certain degree you get used to being like that and what's do you know I never really appreciated how much of a role nurses play in this but they really are godsend like you get looked after so well and when you're in a such a vulnerable position it's really like it's very comforting to have someone there all the time you know they they come in at 7 a.m and they feed you and and then they come in at 9 a.m and they change all of your dressings and like i had a, a catheter so they'd come and change your little pee bag and then i had about five buckets like blood buckets where all of the blood would drain into these little buckets so they'd come and change all of them and measure them and then they'd change all of your dressings and then they'd get like warm water in a tub and like and pat you down with warm water and clean you um and then they'd change the sheets, which I have no idea how they do that without moving you. Like I would just lay there and they'd change the sheets with me still there. And, uh, and then they would come and put new pajamas on me and clean me and brush my teeth. And, and like that was every single day. So every morning that was our routine. And then lunch would come and then someone would feed me. And then it was like, so it was, you get into this, this habit of, of like, this is my life now. Like, this is what I have. And what was the diagnosis? Um, so I basically, I shattered both of my feet and because they were so swollen, they couldn't operate on them. And I think they, it took about two or three weeks bef before they could go in and, and operate on them. So they were elevated <coughs> and they were just iced. And then I had that contraption, the, the femur retraction thing in my knee. Um, then my right pelvis, so you have three bones that make up your pelvis. You have this thing called the ilium, which is like that hip bone that you feel. So that just went and just crumbled. Um, and it broke in, in so many different places. And then my pubic bone snapped off. So the right side of my pelvis was still there. And then, the, sorry, the left side. And the right side had just gone and then up here. So all of the fragmented bones had moved upwards. And then I had a, a, a vertebra in my spinal, in my spine, in my lumbar spine that just, um, it was a burst fracture. So it just went like that. And there were shards of bone all over the place and the vertebra wasn't really there. So they had to, one of the first surgeries I had was to put rods there just to stabilize it so the space wouldn't collapse. Um, and then after that, I had all of the, not all of them, but parts of the fragments of bone removed. And then I had an artificial cage put in. And then they took 
um, bone from my pelvis and did a bone graft around that, which hasn't taken. Then I had my pelvis reconstructed and then my pubic bone reattached and then both my feet reconstructed. Yeah. And were you asking a lot of questions during your time there? You know, like, how, how is my recovery? When am I going to be able to get out of here? When am I going to be able to walk? Or were you just very much focusing each day as it comes? Yeah, look, I don't remember. I don't remember asking any of those questions. I do remember as, as my stay in hospital progressed, I do remember then starting to become a lot more alert about what was happening and wanting to research it, wanting to read, like, even though I couldn't. Like I tried to read a couple of times in there and I didn't have the mental capacity to read. And it's it's really interesting because some friends had brought me some books and reading one sentence, one line of that, like I couldn't I couldn't do it. I couldn't read. Um, so at the time, it's it's quite interesting because you think of of what a capacity what your mental capacity allows you to to do. And at the time, my mental capacity had diminished to such a degree that I was just like, I need water. I need like, can someone loosen the bandages of my feet because my feet hurt, I need more painkillers. Or it was very like low level. Just back to basics. Totally, totally. So yeah, it was literally that. Like I, I needed water, I needed juice or like, my throat hurt so much from being intubated so i couldn't eat anything but i really wanted like something warm so i got really addicted to like peppermint tea with honey and i would just beg anyone who was around to make me some peppermint tea i was always really cold so i was always asking for more blankets and pillows and like really low level things so i wasn't even like recovery when am i going to get out and no. like it was it was very basic yeah and how was it that day when you could leave really scary really really scary i cried and i was petrified i was really petrified because like i'm not normally one someone who experiences any level of fear and to go from a setting where you were looked after so much to then going home where you're alone that was it was petrifying and before i was allowed to leave i got um i got a, a day pass so the the doctor gave me a pass to to leave for the day before i had my last surgery so it was a week before i left i had one more surgery to do and uh the doctor was like, you can go home for the day before you come back and then tomorrow, like, just don't eat tonight and then tomorrow we'll do your surgery and then you have to stay for another week until this heals and then you can go. So I got the day pass and it was petrifying. Like, I remember Scott putting me in a wheelchair and I'd only been able to be, like, with the physio, <clears throat> we had just been practicing, like, so I was lying down and we'd been practicing sitting up for five minutes and then laying the bed back down. And the second that I sat up, I got so dizzy um, and I couldn't sit up on my own. So that was really, it was hard. And then, so going from, from like not even being able to press the electric button and get your thing to come up to like, okay, we're gonna sit in a wheelchair and we're gonna put you in a car and you're gonna go home. <clears throat> like, I was like, I can't even sit. So. 
Scott like picked me up, we, he put me in a wheelchair and I was like in agony. Like all of this weight and pressure sits on your right side. And I was like, I remember getting really hot and sweaty and feeling dizzy and just nauseous and sick. And we go outside into the mid, like I can't remember what month it was, but it was like July, August, and it was boiling. And I'd been in AC for like two months. I was like... So it was probably a huge <clears throat> shock yeah, and to my the system. skin started to burn straight away and I felt like, I felt awful. And he put me into the front seat of the car and I couldn't sit up. And I was crying and I remember <clears throat> asking him like, can, can you lay the seat down? So he like reclined the seat. We put all these pillows on the bottom of the, the seat so my feet could rest on the pillows and they were just throbbing because they'd never been down. <laughs> um, and the whole car ride, I was crying and like, I didn't want to go home. I was like, it was horrible. But then, you know, I got home, I got into my wheelchair. I had about five minutes of being able to withstand how much pain I was in. And then when I got home, it was just, it was so lovely. Like I had all of my friends had bought, um, had bought a hospital bed, like an electric hospital bed. And they bought a pressure mattress because I was starting to get some bed sores and I had a wheelchair and there was like a commode and there was all my stuff there. And so as soon as I got home and like I got put into a hospital bed and then I was like, oh, okay. Like, and it was on the ground floor. So it was downstairs. We changed the living room. Like it was comforting. And that was really nice when I knew that I had like a bed downstairs and I didn't have to walk or go anywhere. Like I was like, okay, I can do this. You could relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But then like, who's going to change my nappies? Like I can't go to the bathroom on my own. I can't like those first couple of months were hard. Like it was, it was an interesting journey for sure. Yeah. And a huge, I mean, the impact of that on your marriage as well. Yeah. To go from being this young, carefree married yeah. couple to suddenly yeah, you need 24 of... 7 care yeah yeah um what's the most surprising thing you've learned about life since your accident i think i've learned how resilient we can all be um when under adversity and i think particularly how resilient i am that's that's the thing that I learned and that's something that, that now I know for certain. So it's, it's nice to know that about yourself, that I can be put into any situation and I have the strength to, to come out of that and to come out of it not disabled or disfigured, but I made a decision that I wasn't going to be that way and then I spent the next two years not working, just focusing, being very selfish. I was really selfish, focusing on that and that was my only priority. Um, I don't think that's selfish, though. And I've said this before on the podcast. Selfish comes with so many negative connotations. Yeah. You have to fill your cup first. Yeah, for sure. I don't think that's being selfish because no one else can go through that recovery. Yeah. Look, Only you can do that for yourself. It's true, but it definitely comes at a price to of your course. other relationships. Of course. Sure. Like to the relationships that you have with, with your family, to the relationships that I had with my husband. Like it comes at a cost when people see 
that you are not giving to anybody else because and I felt that very much at the time I couldn't give to anybody I couldn't give to my friends like I couldn't give to any because I didn't have anything to give um, I was so when I got out of that hospital I've never been so weak in my whole life like I got out of there and I think I weighed just like under I was like about 45 kilos when I left I had no strength <coughs> I couldn't sit in a wheelchair for more than five minutes. I had to lay down in a car to go to any car journey. Like I remember having an exercise in my physio where I had to pull a TheraBand and I couldn't even do that. It was too hard, it was too heavy. Like I left that hospital so weak and so, so weak, mentally, physically, spiritually, like there was just nothing. There was nothing. Did it really make you realize who are the important people? in your life I'm sure you probably yeah. had some surprises yeah. as well do you know I the people that I knew were were still there like those people are always there and you know that and I knew that before so I never it wasn't a surprise to me to learn that but what I did learn is how beautiful like the community can be um, I didn't know that and I didn't realize that or appreciate it and when when I had my accident it was just crazy like how many people were there there was so we had um at the hospital they the only way that they would let me be in my own room is that if someone stayed with me every night so I went for the first two weeks I was staying in a surgical ward um and the doctors basically said if we move you to a private room someone has to stay with you and that person has to be female so it was my friends took turns. So there was always like one girl that would come in at like eight o'clock and sleep in the hospital. And the bed was horrifically like, it was like a sofa that they turned into a semi bed. And so they were on rotation. So my sister and her friends and, and my friends. So there was a WhatsApp group and someone was always like, okay, I'll come and stay. Otherwise I had to move back to the surgical ward. So look, that was lovely. And when I came home, like there was just so many people that had bought stuff so that when I got home, there was, I had the things that I needed. And then my friends set up a GoFundMe account. They raised um, $50,000 to help with all of my medical expenses. Amazing. Like it's, that was really surprising. Like I didn't realize how generous people were and how much they cared. And at the time when I left, I was in this place of like, I don't deserve to be alive. Like I was in a really bad place. I was in a very, like my sisters and I joke around about it. We call it being in the mud. Like I was in mud. I was literally mentally and physically, like I didn't know how I was gonna get out of this. I didn't know how I was gonna, what life I was gonna have or what I was gonna do or like I was disabled. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't walk, I lived in a wheelchair, like I couldn't go anywhere. Um, and to have so much love and support and people like being so generous, it made me think, well like, fuck, if they give a shit about me, like, I have to give a shit about me. Like, I have to, I have to find a way to, to do something good with this. Like, I have to. And I think initially that became the driving force. Like, I started to, like, you know, sit up a little bit more or, like, roll over. And, and when I got home, I could read the very basic stuff, but I could read. I was sleeping about 20 hours a day. So I was totally useless, but I was, I was there. And the four hours that I was awake, I was like present enough to, 
to be there. How much of it do you think is a mental aspect within your recovery? So obviously there's a huge physical side, yeah. but how much of it is actually down to your mental state? I think your mental state is everything. And I think it's everything for everybody. It's not just not just me and not just recovery or healing. It's it's for everyone. And I, I think it is the basis of where you start whenever you're trying to do anything. And I, I say this a lot to people now because now I I do this a lot with myself. You need to feed your mind good things and you need to feed it constantly. Because and I speak for myself when I say this, my mind is a very fickle and precarious creature <laughs> and it can it can fall into being very negative very easily and I need to for me and to stay on the right track like I have a goal and my mind wants to go there <laughs> and so I have to sweep it in this direction all the time daily and it's at the beginning it's a constant thing so I started reading, like, first I started reading all the negative stuff, all the clinical studies, so I would have a real basis of the, the factual place of where I was at. And the being disabled for life, never being able to walk, being able to walk on crutches or with a limp, um, and never having a normal life. Like, the doctor's like, you're never going to run again, you're never going to do sport. And it's so funny, I remember crying and the doctor was like, why are you crying? When I say this to like to the locals, they're like so happy that they don't have to exercise. And you were sitting here crying and I was like, I was deflated by that idea. But look, over over time, you just like, it's, it's all of the little things and this, you have to start there. So I was watching this channel called uh, Food Matters TV and it's just like inspirational people who recover and then I started following all of these people on Instagram and social media and I started following and reading about other people who had done just miraculous things and then I was listening to podcasts and listening to to anything that I could find I wasn't watching any trashy tv or tv series I was drinking a liter of like juice I started doing the Gerson therapy I started like just like that was it I was feeding my mind good things and anytime I would descend into mud it was like okay I gotta start again like what am I listening to today like I'm gonna listen to this and I, I can do this but it, it was tough it was it's really hard it's mind and soul as well isn't it yeah I call it like soul food for yeah. me you know when you're you're watching something and it just speaks to you or it just helps you mm. um and a lot of people I imagine being in that situation probably would quickly get into a a sort of vicious cycle and spiral of watching trashy tv and just yeah. thinking well that's it this is me yeah. forever now but the fact that you were able to go no okay I really am going to do everything I can mentally mm. I'm sure had a huge impact on then your physical your physical recovery, recovery. yeah I look I th I definitely I know it did because I made a lot of really crucial choices at the very beginning. Like one was I, I was feeding myself really good stuff. And look, I totally agree with you about the soul thing. But at that stage, I wasn't even a soul. I was just a dead body. Like I was just wow, that's so, interesting. so over that it was, I don't think that I was communicating to anybody or like there wasn't anything there. I was sleeping 20 hours a day. And when I was awake, I was just like, 
having noise put into my ears that were good things, but I wasn't doing anything with it. And I just repeat that for, so I was doing that for a good two or three months and sleeping 20 hours a day, waking up. But what I did realize, and this is something really, really beautiful, when I would go to sleep, I would like, at first I was like, why am I sleeping so much? Like I noticed a lot of really interesting things happen to my body. Like my body got really hairy, like really hairy. And I noticed hair everywhere. And I was like, why is this happening? Obviously I researched hormonally what's happening. Your body's producing so many hormones, like human growth hormones that stimulate growth, like bone growth. Um, and I was sleeping because my body was healing and it didn't want me yeah, Because you needed it. Yeah, I was literally healing. And what I discovered is that I would go to sleep and then the next day I could do something that I couldn't do the day before. And that happened at such a fast pace at the very beginning that I was like, oh. like I remember going to bed one day and with my physio, we were always like, he was like contract your, so my, because when I smashed my pelvis, my right side was no longer attached to the rest of my body and it had just gone here. And because of that, so there was only soft tissue that was attaching my leg, but all of that soft tissue was stretched and, and torn that when it was all reattached, none of my muscles worked. Like my right leg couldn't move. I couldn't move it at all for about five months. And so the whole trick is like my physio would come over, they would move my leg forwards and backwards and do circles with it. And then they would put it back down. They're like, can you move it? And I could wiggle my toes, but from my toes upwards, I couldn't do anything, like nothing. I couldn't turn it from side to side. I couldn't contract the muscle. I couldn't move it, nothing. It was dead. So I would attach this, um, <laughs> this scarf, and whenever I wanted to roll to my side, I'd pull it with my arm and roll to the side. So I had a scarf. At this stage, this is like now two or three months after my accident, and I was basically like just dragging my right leg with me. Um, putting it into the wheelchair, like sitting down, back down. Like I was just lifting it because it did nothing. It was dead, totally dead. And um, I remember going to sleep one day and I remember waking up and being able to move it. And I remember because I was practicing this every day, the day before I couldn't do that. And I was sleeping 20 hours a day. And I know that my body was forcing me to sleep so that it could heal and fix things. And it was fixing things like crazy. Um, that's incredible yeah it's mental it's mental to feel that and to know that type of that type of intelligence that exists within us it's just subliminal and now I I feel like this mind here is like a little baby creature but this body all of our bodies is there exists an intelligence within that that is just subliminal and it needs to be honored and respected and appreciated um, and this is why you must listen to your body. Yeah. Even on a tiny scale, you know, I wasn't feeling very well last week. And my, my mental instinct is just to keep going. Mm. And sometimes your body just goes, nope, <laughs> sorry, yeah. you need to rest, you need to mm. stop, and you have to listen to that. Yeah. And so often we don't. Mm. And that is just such, wow, an incredible example yeah. of your body knows what it's doing. Yeah. Let it do what it's designed to do. Yeah. Um, before we move on from your accident, how are mm -hmm. you today? Yeah, look, today I, I'm good. Like it's it's been a long process. So this is now <coughs> four years on and 
It took me a good two years to learn how to walk again. That was a long process. And then I walked very, like, I walked retarded for a really long time. And I think people were very kind. They didn't, they didn't say anything to me. And now they're like, oh, you walk so well. And I'm like, oh. Well, the fact that you were even walking in the first place, does it matter what you look like yeah. or how you were doing it? Yeah. Look, it, it didn't. It didn't at all. But when you're in, in kind of that place, it's like, yes, I can walk like you're so excited about it. But then it's like, what next? Like, I want to walk properly. Um, I wanted to get to a place where I, I wanted to make something of my accident. And that entirely in my mind was I wanted to walk out of it better than I was before. That was my goal. And my body physically isn't there yet, but it's getting there. And it's getting there in the sense of like, when I stepped out of like being in, in hospital for two months and then I went in and out of hospital for two years. So I had a lot more surgeries after that. I think I only had about seven or eight when I was in there initially. And then after that, I was going- Only seven out. or eight. Yeah, <laughs> I was going in and, in and out, in and out, going to have surgery and starting again and starting again. Um, so that whole like two years of that process, it was long. And coming out of that and being like, okay, well, how can I, how can I be better than that? And I remember, like, I remember this clear example one day, the first, it was about two weeks of being able to be on crutches. And I went to Dubai Mall on my own. I got a taxi, the taxi came home, it dropped me at Dubai Mall. When I got to Dubai Mall, I walked to the bathroom and I could not walk anymore. And I remember crying outside the bathroom because my feet, like I couldn't walk a hundred meters. Like I'd walked from the entrance a hundred meters to the bathroom, but I couldn't go anywhere. And I remember just crying and crying on the side of the wall in Dubai Mall thinking like, what did I do? Like, why did I come here? I'm so stupid, but I wanted to feel like a normal person. And I remember this beautiful man, like God bless him. He saw me crying and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, I need to get home. I need to go home. And he was like, look, let me take you home. And he, bless him, got his car back to where the taxi stand was. And I walked there, he helped me to the car and he drove me home. He was a total stranger, total stranger. Um, but he drove me back home and I remember thinking, I'm not ready to do that yet. And that was a hundred meters. So like now the fact that I can, I can walk all day and my feet don't hurt, like they hurt, but not as, not as much as, there's progress there. And I know that if I keep going on this, this kind of like path, keep pushing myself, keep challenging my body, keep going, aspiring to that goal, like I'm gonna get there eventually. It's not going to be the same as it was before, but inside, like, I'm going to make it better. Thank you so much for sharing that with okay. us. I have this, like, knot in my <laughs> stomach. <laughs> like, I just can't believe, and especially with, with what we're about to go on to talk about, that mm. you, you know, you've arrived here today. You know, I haven't seen you in a few years, well, since your accident. Mm. You know, you've come here today. You know, if I, if I hadn't have known about your accident... I would never be able to tell mm. that you had gone through something like this. Um, so it's, it's just, Caroline, it's incredible. Okay, so from going from your accident and potentially thinking that you'd never be able to walk again mm -hmm. to today, um, <laughs> can you tell us about this incredible yeah. Guinness World Record that I you can. are about to attempt? So in six days, five days, five days. <laughs> 
crazy. I am basically going to summit all of the mountains in the Middle East. Yeah, it's, I know it's ridiculous. I don't know where this idea came from or why. Are, are you sure that you're, I know you're ready in terms of preparation, but sure. are, you, are you ready mentally, physically? I'm ready mentally. Like my. This isn't going to be a Dubai Mall incident where you get there and you're like, I think <laughs> Look, I've gone too I, far. Do you know what potentially it could be? Like just being really honest. I know my mind can go there and I'm just going to see if, if I can push my body there. Um, so we'll see. Look, I don't know. I All I know is that um, that I need to try. I need to I need to see what I can do. Like I said to you before, I need to I wanted to make sure make everything better than it was before, physically, mentally, spiritually. Like how can I be a better person? How can I make all of this count? How can I make it mean something? Um, because it can't be for nothing. And I can't leave it there. I can't leave it as it's nothing. I need to make it into something because otherwise what a disrespect to myself. Like what an awful, awful way to disrespect yourself. To go climbing a wall unharnessed, like what an idiot. And I cannot leave that there. So I need to turn that into something, something that's a value to me or to others and to to show people like if I can go like I've had 14 surgeries I had 23 blood transfusions like I was and for to if I can do this then anyone can do this and so you go in five days and this is how many mountains in the Middle East I'm climbing technically it's 16 but officially it's 15 okay (laughs) yeah there's rogue countries that we're not allowed to talk about here. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how long are you going to be away for? I'm going to be away for 31 days. Yeah. Well, a whole month. Yeah, basically a whole month. Like, and I how... come back intermittently. Um, but yeah, basically 31 days. And how can people support you on this? Because I know you're partnered with DHL. Yeah, so um, DHL have been amazing and they are helping me logistically with ground support and... It's great. And uh, and then I'm also, I myself am supporting a local charity. So it is called Golf for Good. And uh, we are, they do lots of amazing projects around the world to raise money for, for kids. Um, and pr- predominantly children, predominantly in underdeveloped countries and to, to education based. We'll link them in the show notes so people yeah. can see. Yeah. How can people follow you on this journey and also support so you? So most of it is on um, Instagram. So it's Caroline underscore D underscore Leon. I'll add um, this to the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, amazing. Um, and then in my profile, there's a, a link to, it's a Yala Give account where you can donate directly to the charity. So none of that money will go towards me. It will all be towards Golf for Good. Um, as a way to raise money for their internal operations um, to keep them running and then also to raise awareness for some of the amazing projects that they do around the world for kids. We will definitely put that link in the show notes and when we actually put our our videos on social media as well, we'll include Mm -hmm. the link um, everywhere so that hopefully people that listen to this can also support you with that. (laughs) And best of luck with this. I will be watching closely. And I hope that we can have a chat with you when you get back. Absolutely. Um, We're going to do a quick fire round now. Mm -hmm. Go. Okay, favourite quote. Mm, Okay. Uh, T.S. Eliot 
it is, um, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it's something along, I'm paraphrasing here, along the lines of, if you don't go far, you don't know how far you can go. Something like that. Isn't it, I haven't come this far to just come this far? Or something like that. It's on my phone somewhere. So okay. I we'll can, find it. We'll, we'll find it. Yeah, we'll definitely <laughs> find it. But it's, it's along those lines. And what, what I love about that quote is, is like, if you have no idea what you can do unless you go there, unless you ask, unless you try, unless you, you get there. So why not? Like what I've discovered through this process is that you have nothing to lose. Like you literally, you have nothing to lose and life can be fleeting. And so you have to, you have to seize the day as they say, and be hungry to live and be hungry not to care what people think and to just be unafraid to live your best life, whatever that may be. Like I've had so many people that come up to me and say like, you are crazy, like how are you doing this? And when I hear that, I'm like, like, you're not you my f- kind of person yeah. thank you for your opinion but this I feel this so I'm doing this yeah and and then I just continue on but it's that quote just says it all like go 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 to wherever it is that you yeah. can go and, and such don't, an important don't message care. yeah it is best piece of life advice you've ever been given oh wow oh. <laughs> I don't know I don't know I do know what I just said to you is what I know now and that's probably that's probably the best advice that I can impart to other people. Um, and probably like if I was going to have a message, that would be it to just go and live your best life. And when I say that, I mean, if that life is serving an honest and true and pure process um, without hurting other people or without a sense of greed or when things are imbalanced and and unaligned the universe will not conspire to help you but when you are in alignment with something that's purposeful then then trust me the universe will conspire to make things happen and this is a testament amen sister that is exactly how i think about life yeah and you know when you're on the right track because every it just happens it's not Yes, you will have challenges and things will be difficult, but good things come to you. You know when you're on the right track. Just as when you're not, everything just feels harder. (laughs) So I am totally, totally with you on that. Um, Favorite tool or app to help organize your life, Um, if you have one? I probably like iCalendar. I have an iPhone, like iCalendar. I schedule everything in there. And without that, I would have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so it helps me stay organized. So that's, that's probably the one that I use the most. Yeah. Biggest pet peeve when it comes to business. Oh, wow. I think, look, business is an interesting parameter because people have motives and most of those motives tend to be under the, the premise of, of a financial premise. So I think the best thing in business, and again, I'm learning and navigating, is just to be honest, um, I think, with what you want first. Like, what do you really want out of this business? And then, and then find people that also want the same things. I think then there won't be any misalignment. But you need to know that for yourself and you need to get that from them as well. You need to ask that from them. That's the only thing that, like I said to you, I'm still navigating this and learning all the time. So that's what I know at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And sometimes 
you really need to get really still and think about what is it that drives me? Mm. Is it financial? Is it being able to work with like-minded people? What is, what is that thing? Mm. And sometimes that's really hard yeah. to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, most important life lessons so far? Um... I've had a few this year and last year and the year before. Um, probably to, to have respect for your, your body. That's, um, and when I say respect for it, like it's very hard to fix it when you mess it up. Um, so along the way, cherish that and, and look after it. It is the only body that you have. It's the only vessel. And without it, you cannot go through this world. Um, so being able to look after that like it is the most precious thing that you have because it is so that's that's probably it and then in addition to that i would probably say i i lost my mom about a year after my accident and i think you know how we all are with mums like they drive us bananas yeah like when she <laughs> calls it's like oh i'll just call her back um, or when they message you and they say ridiculous things. And I think learning not to take that for granted and learning that time is so precious and that we have a very, it is the only commodity that we really have, but it can go so fast. So learning to really value the people in that and, and be, be willful enough that when you get into a state of being in your own mind, like we all get this, when you get really emotional and you get into a mood and you get like, oh, this person's pissing me off, snap out of it. Like this is something that is a constant thing for me, not to hold anything for too long. So I can be upset, I can talk about it with someone and then I can get over it and move on. And I think being able to master that, to not be a victim or being trapped in your own emotional state of being to be able to step outside it and go okay i've communicated this and and i that that's it because time is so precious and you just end up hurting yourself yeah yeah totally <laughs> i mean we all take people for granted yeah. and it's so sad that sometimes it's only when we lose someone that we really realize oh my god that time was so precious yeah. why didn't i spend more time mm -hmm. um so yeah for anyone listening please just cherish your loved ones mm -hmm. because yeah time just it goes so fast yeah and unfortunately as humans we always we learn it's these lessons nature. yeah and then after this big calamity then we we are like oh okay i need to do this but yeah yeah mm -hmm. um if you could give your 18 year old self one piece of advice what would it be hmm I think I, <clears throat> look, if, if that question was like, would you change anything? I probably wouldn't change anything um, because I think everything is a stepping stone to something else. Um, I would just tell my 18 year old self probably the two things that we just said, to cherish your body and then to appreciate the people. But if I had done that before, I wouldn't know this now. Do you know? Like if I cherished my body, I put a probably worn a harness and then I wouldn't be in this place at this present moment. So look, I think everything is a, a little stepping stone to something else. Um, my 18 year old self, I would just probably give her a big massive cuddle and, and say good luck. You know, I wouldn't 
impart It's all going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, and it is. You just, you have to light that fire within you and just let it burn. Okay, Caroline, your last question. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you know for sure? Oh, okay. I know that the human body is amazing. I know that um, we are just intelligent beyond what we know mentally. I know um, our mind is a bit of a monkey and we have to we have to be very cautious with what information goes into that and what we feed it. That's um that I know for sure. And I know that that people can do amazing things. Caroline, thank you so much. That's okay. Thank you for sharing your incredible story. Mm-hmm. Um it's made me feel it's made me feel lots of things but it's made me feel like I'm really going to appreciate the fact that I'm healthy mm-hmm. I can move around mm-hmm. um you know I have I have some strength in my body yeah. and it's really I'm going to leave this conversation today just really acknowledging that and taking care of myself a little bit better actually because yeah. I really do take it for granted <laughs> So I hope it also makes you like light the fire inside you and just go and do whatever it is that yeah. is your purpose and your passion. And life is too short to be scared. Yeah. Just it do is. it because life can change in mm-hmm. a second, in a flash. So one second. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Caroline. I'm gonna put okay. all the information on your Guinness World Record attempt in the mm-hmm. show notes, your Instagram handle, your just Thank giving you. page, everything so everyone can follow you. And uh, please let's catch up once you're back. When I'm back. I wish you the best of luck and thank you so much for your time today. Bye, guys. (laughs) I wish Caroline the best of luck with her Guinness World Record attempt. I know she's going to do amazing. You can keep up to date with Caroline's progress by following her on Instagram at Caroline underscore D underscore Leon. As Caroline mentioned, you can also donate to her chosen charity, Golf for Good, via the link in the show notes below. And all of the money will go directly to this wonderful charity. You can also find them on Instagram too, at Golf for Good. As always, if you'd like to find out who my guests will be on the next episode of Life School, follow us on Instagram at LifeSchoolEmmy, where you can keep up to date with all our news and find information on all our amazing guests. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Life School and Me, the podcast to help us reach and hopefully inspire more listeners. Thank you for listening to Life School, conversations to inspire action.